You're listening to Photo Tea with Anissa D, where we share all things related to photography. Welcome to episode two of Photo Tea with Anissa D. For today's episode, I want to talk about how to start a photography business. I remember when I started my business, I just had so many questions on what I need, what steps I need to take, how to make my business legit, basically an overwhelming amount of questions on how to be a photographer and how to be a business owner. So today I want to walk through the steps that I took to start my photography business and help you guys do the same. So let's go ahead and start off with talking about gear. If you are on a budget, I would recommend starting off with a DSLR camera. There are different types of DSLR cameras. I personally shoot with Canon, so I would recommend the Canon Rebel T7. If you are interested in trying out Nikon, Nikon is great as well. I would recommend the Nikon D3500. If you are flexible with your budget, then I would recommend looking into mirrorless since mirrorless is the direction that the camera industry is heading to. I would say that Sony is one of the leads in the mirrorless camera industry. So I would recommend starting off with the Sony A6000 mirrorless body. And those are just some of my recommendations. I personally started with the Canon ADD. I'd say that the Canon ADD was a pretty intermediate camera to start off with. It wasn't anything super advanced, but it also was a little more advanced than the Canon Rebel T7. So basically, I did want to mention that all these cameras that I just listed are crop sensors. So something that I didn't know about when starting my business is the difference between a crop sensor camera and a full frame camera. And funny story, I remember I was shooting with one of my friends. We were doing a style shoot together. Everything is the same. We're standing in the same spot. We're at North Avenue Beach in Chicago. And we're both shooting with our camera bodies. I think she had the Canon 5D Mark IV. I was shooting with a Canon 80D. And we both had a 35 millimeter 1.4 lens. And then at one point, I looked at her camera screen and then back at mine and noticed that my photos were more cropped in. And I just thought that was so strange. Like, why is this happening? So then when I got home from the shoot, I decided to look up, why are my photos coming out cropped? And then that's when I heard of the term crop sensor. And basically what I read is that if the sensor is larger, then that allows for more light to come in and more details to be captured, which means that the image quality will be higher. Whereas on the other hand, if you're shooting on the crop sensor, the edges of your photo will be cropped in tighter. So let's say you're shooting on a crop sensor with a 50 millimeter lens. The photos would actually end up looking as though you're shooting on a 75 millimeter lens because the photo is going to be cropped in more, if that makes sense. So just be sure to keep this in mind as you start your professional photography business. It is important to know the difference between a crop sensor camera and a full frame camera, especially since most beginner cameras are crop sensor and that will affect the way that your images turn out. The next thing I do want to talk about are lenses, obviously also super important. As some of you guys may have heard already, the Nifty 50, which is a 50 millimeter 1.8 lens, is a great lens to start off with. It is a prime lens, which a prime lens basically just means that it is a fixed focal length. So that could be a 35 millimeter lens, a 50 millimeter lens, an 85 millimeter lens, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to the 50 millimeter 1.8 lens, I would highly recommend it, especially if you are just starting your photography journey and have a tighter budget. 
Now, if you have a bigger budget, I would highly recommend looking into the 35 millimeter 1.4 lens. This is the lens that I currently shoot with. It rarely leaves my camera. And when I made the switch to this lens right at the start of starting my business, it just changed the game for me. I can't even begin to tell you guys how much I love shooting with this lens. Specifically, I love the low aperture that I can get on this lens, which is that 1.4 number that you see. And when the aperture is lower, that basically means it is a more shallow depth of field, which leads to that blurry background that you see in professional photos. It allows for more light to come in, which is easier to use in low light situations. So I highly recommend the 35 millimeter 1.4. And for those who are on a tighter budget, the 50 millimeter 1.8. The other thing I did touch on prime lenses for a bit there, I did want to talk about the difference between a prime and a zoom lens. So I did mention that prime lenses have a fixed focal length. And as you probably can now put together, a zoom lens has a range. So a variety of focal lengths. There are 24 to 70 millimeter lenses, 70 to 200. And there are pros and cons for each. So I personally prefer to shoot with prime lenses. I love that they're lighter and smaller. I also love that they can go into, like I mentioned, that low aperture to allow for that more shallow depth of field. I just really like that bokeh in the photos. And I also like that they are more affordable. Typically, zoom lenses are a little bit more expensive. But zoom lenses are great. They're very versatile. So I love them for when I'm shooting weddings or elopements or proposals where I have to be shooting from a distance. Zoom lenses are also really great for shooting animals and wildlife. So if you're shooting more wildlife photography, a zoom lens may be a better fit for you. But for someone like me who shoots primarily couples and families, I personally prefer a prime lens for the most part. And then also that 24 to 70 millimeter lens when it comes to those intimate weddings and elopements. So that's what I would recommend if you are looking to get into portrait photography and just starting off your photography business. Now, something else I want to touch on is flash. A lot of photographers who start off their business get worried about shooting in low light situation, worry about shooting indoors in a studio. And I fully understand the fear. I was one of those photographers. I didn't like the thought of shooting indoors, shooting an event indoors, honestly, shooting anything indoors. And even when it got really late in the evenings, that also worried me of having to bump up my ISO. So flash will be your best friend. And so I want to go into my favorite flash and how I use this flash. I have the Godox V1. They have version C for Canon, which is what I use. And they also have version N for Nikon and version S for Sony. And the reason I love this flash is because it has a round head as opposed to if you've seen some of the other flashes have a rectangular head. I like the way that the light is dispersed when I shoot with this flash. And so the best way I recommend learning how to use flash is to watch tutorials online. I personally learned with different YouTube tutorials. That's honestly how I even heard of this flash in the first place. You can watch TikTok videos, reels. I've actually made a few real tutorials on how to use flash, how to do shutter drag and all of that fun stuff. I do want to do another episode on my podcast, just going into flash in detail. So let me know if you guys want to hear that. But yeah, I would definitely recommend if you're looking to learn how to use flash, go online, look up some tutorials. And aside from looking up and researching how to use the flash, the best way you're going to learn is just by going and doing and practicing. And so 
This is going to bring me on to my next point, which is how to build a portfolio. But I do think it's so important to practice as much as you can, especially as you're starting your business. And so don't be afraid of low light situations. Don't hide from that. Don't shy away from that. I don't recommend marketing yourself as a quote unquote natural light photographer because at some point you're probably going to want to shoot in low light situations. Maybe you want to try out weddings or maybe you want to try out studio work or maybe you have a shoot where a client runs late and you're forced to shoot at night or indoors and so or bad weather for that matter. And so I highly recommend not waiting till that moment to learn flash and just going out there and practicing as much as you can, reading different information on flash, watching different tutorials. And you know, if you have specific questions, obviously you guys know you can always reach out to me as well. So that's what I would recommend when it comes to flashes. There are other flashes out there. Like I said, I personally recommend the Godox V1. I've been using it since I started and I love it. But yeah, I did want to go into how to build a portfolio because I feel that this is one of the biggest struggles that photographers face, myself included, when I first started. I mentioned it in the first episode, I believe, that it was tough finding people to model for me. And I reached out to so many different people. So I will say that if you haven't already and you're looking to build your portfolio, reach out to friends, reach out to family, coworkers, anyone that you can to model for you. You can reach out to strangers, which honestly, I had better luck reaching out to strangers like bloggers that I found on social media than I did with you know my own family. That's just how it is sometimes and that's okay. So if you haven't already reached out to you know, models to model for you, that would be the first step to building your portfolio. And the next thing I would recommend if maybe you have done that and you're not looking to do a bunch of free stuff, or maybe you want to get content, but you also want to benefit from that. In addition to growing your portfolio, a giveaway is a really great idea. So there's obviously so many different opportunities when it comes to giveaways, but That's a really great way to get people to your social media, to your Instagram, to find you. And then also at the end of it, you have content that you can use for your portfolio. So yeah, that's those are the two things I would recommend. And the last thing I love doing is putting together styled shoots. If you've heard of styled shoots and don't know what it is, essentially it is a collaborative event that vendors come together and put together a a shoot of some sort. So there are bridal styled shoots where there'll be a couple modeling with different vendors, stationery, hair, makeup, bridal dresses, all of that fun stuff, tablescape. And then there are different other types of styled shoots. So you could do a editorial styled shoot with a model. And again, those different vendors, hair, makeup, dress, it doesn't necessarily have to be bridal. And so if you have a specific vision or you know, you, there's something that you want to do and market for in the future, style shoots are really great for that to bring your vision to life and ideally book clients who have that similar vision. So style shoots are really great. When I first started, I wanted to reach out to other vendors who are looking for a more collaborative style shoot. So we would all basically just contribute our services for free in exchange for the content to promote it, to share it, to market with it, use it for our website, our social media and stuff. And so I was reaching out to other vendors who were in a similar position as me, who were also just starting off and were wanting to grow their business and portfolio. So that was a really great experience. I did a few of those when I was just starting out and I would highly recommend them. 
So the next important thing I want to talk about when it comes to starting a photography business is websites and branding. And so to start off with websites, there's a couple different steps that you can take. I'm going to share the steps that I took when I created my website and what that looked like. And if that works for you, great. If not, that's totally fine. So I started off with a Pixie Set website. I signed up for their free version, which didn't require a custom domain. It was free, so I didn't have to pay anything. It was quite limited, but if you are starting off and you aren't sure what you want your website to look like, maybe you don't have that many photos yet to share, so you don't need that much storage, then this free version of Pixie Set might be perfect for you. Another thing I want to mention about Pixie Set is that it's super user-friendly. And so I think I put together my website in a week or something, which again, I was just starting off. I didn't really have that much to put on there. I didn't really know where I wanted to take my business. So again, if you're in a similar position and you're just starting off, Pixie Set would probably be a really great option for you. Now, if you are looking for something a little bit more advanced, you can obviously upgrade Pixie Set and then get a custom domain, which you can get through GoDaddy. It's not that expensive and it's pretty easy to set up. But if you're looking for something that has maybe a little bit more options as far as like SEO opportunities and stuff, I would look into Squarespace, Wix, or ShowIt. I personally use ShowIt. I do everything with ShowIt and then ShowIt's really nice because it connects with WordPress for the blogging portion, which I love again for that SEO opportunity there. So that's kind of what I would recommend as far as websites go. Obviously, if you're, you know, wanting a full design and you have like this really specific vision but aren't really sure how to do it yourself, you can absolutely reach out to a website designer. Quick shout out to my website designer, Walter at the Bridgewater Studio. He was absolutely incredible to work with. And if you, again, have the budget for that and that's something that you're looking to do and spend the time to do, I would highly recommend working with a website designer. And on that note, when it comes to branding, again, very similar. You can do it yourself on Canva, which is what I did. I created my logo, picked out my fonts and my colors on Canva. And then if you are ready to take it to that next step, you can reach out to a branding specialist, someone who's a professional and can really help you execute your vision for what you're looking to do. Again, Walter does it all. If you want to reach out to him, he's incredible. But yeah, that's what I would recommend as far as branding and website design go. And now I want to talk about marketing, which I feel like I say this every single time. Everything is really important, but marketing is important to getting clients, right? So when it comes to marketing, social media marketing, SEO marketing, it really comes down to taking the time. And so I would recommend if you're just starting off creating a Facebook business page, an Instagram business account a TikTok business account, and a Pinterest business account. You may have these things for your personal account. I do not recommend taking a personal account and making it into a business account. Likely, your engagement is going to be really low because if someone is following you for personal content, they may not want to follow you for business content. So it's best to separate business and personal just as you would normally, but same for your social media, for your marketing. So once you've created all your accounts, I I do really want to go in depth on marketing in another episode because I could just say so much. But when it comes to your accounts, the 
best thing that you can do is to post content consistently. So creating a posting schedule with Instagram, I link my Instagram and Facebook. So anything that I post to Instagram automatically goes to Facebook. So that's taken care of there. Same with TikTok. Basically any reel that I post on Instagram, I just take that and repurpose it for TikTok and Pinterest as well. For Pinterest, there's a little more that goes into it, but but I think you guys kind of get the general idea of just making content and sharing it on different social media platforms and marketing platforms. So the biggest thing that you can do right now is if you're starting off is posting consistently on these marketing platforms. And I will, like I said, go into another episode in more detail to share what specifically you should be doing. The next thing I want to talk about is pricing yourself because obviously this is kind of how we turn that fun photography hobby into a business, right? It's when we can finally charge for our services. So there are three things to think about and consider when it comes to pricing your photography. And the first is your location. You want to think about the competition in your location, how many other photographers there are, what their experience level is like. And you also want to think about your market opportunity and how much business you can realistically expect. So somewhere like New York City, you can imagine there is a lot of opportunity for photo shoots and there is also a lot of competition. Now, on the other hand, you may be starting your business in a small town where there isn't a lot of competition, but there also isn't a lot of opportunity for photo shoots. So you really want to think about the location that you're in. And something that I would recommend doing is just taking a peek and see what other photographers in your area are charging. It doesn't hurt to look. Obviously, you want to keep in mind their experience level and the type of photography that they do and their style. So you know, someone who has been shooting weddings for 10 years might charge differently than someone who has been shooting families for two years. So this actually brings me to my second point on pricing yourself, and that is your experience level and the type of photography that you offer. If you are someone who has a lot of experience and has been shooting for years, it makes sense to be charging more than someone who has just started out and is working to get that experience. So I think that's pretty self-explanatory, but the thing I did want to talk about in a little bit more detail is the type of photography that you do. And what I mean by that is if you are shooting events, let's just say you're shooting weddings, there's a lot that goes into wedding photography as opposed to you know a couple shoot, aside from the amount of hours that you're shooting. And those things can include having a second shooter or an assistant and carrying more gear on you and having to have two camera bodies and multiple lenses and you know more gear as we talked about flash gear. And there's also a lot more preparation that goes into event photography. For example, putting together a wedding timeline, setting up calls with the client to talk through the first look and other just important details to keep in mind. And so that's something that you want to think about how much time and preparation and just effort goes into the different photography services that you provide. And that's something that I didn't really think about when I was first pricing my photography. I think I was charging just an hourly rate in the same all around for family sessions, for lifestyle sessions, for engagement sessions, for weddings. So please don't make the same mistake as I did and think that the amount of time and effort you're putting into all these different types of sessions is going to be exactly the same because it is not. And I'm telling you that firsthand. All right. And so the last thing that I want to talk about when it comes to pricing yourself is the cost of doing business. And now this ranges from business to business, from person to person. This includes the expenses that you have, your gear, your subscriptions, the amount of miles that you're driving to each shoot. So you really want to think about 
what the cost is and how much you need to make to reach your goals and to you know make it worth it for you. So like I said, I do want to go into an in-depth episode on pricing and just really dive deeper into all this. But I hope that was helpful just for the time being on how to properly price yourself. So that being said, I wanted to move on to talking about kind of more of the formal legal stuff. I can't say much. I don't have like a legal background or anything, but I can give you the resources to do your research for. So the first being insurance. Insurance is very important for a variety of reasons. Some venues require insurance, some permits require you to have insurance in order to get the permit. So you know, obviously you also want to protect yourself. I personally use State Farm insurance. It's not that expensive for me. Obviously that'll depend on, you know, a variety of different factors, but I would highly recommend looking into getting some insurance for your business. And the other thing that I want to recommend you do is get a contract and make your business legal. The Law Talk is a really great resource for this. They have a bunch of different contracts and they also have a package that includes the steps that you need to take to make your business legal, to make your business legit, which like I said, is super, super important. And so since we're on the topic of contracts and making your business legit, I thought I would share a story on something that happened to me like right when I started my business. It was right before the pandemic. And I was shooting my first event. It was a bat mitzvah. I was by myself. I didn't have anyone else. And I had no prior event experience to this. But I will say, despite having no prior event shooting experience, I did know that I needed a contract. The problem was, is I found my contract by searching free photography contract online, which was a huge, huge mistake. I literally have no idea where that contract came from. No idea who drafted it. What was even mentioned in the contract? All I know is I took it, saw it said something about photography and shooting events and decided that I was going to use it. And so I put my information in there, sent it to the client, client sent it back. And I thought, okay, I'm all good to go. I protected myself, which was very, very wrong. So what ended up happening is I shot the event, which actually went really great. And then I went to go and edit the photos just as I would normally. I had quite a portfolio at that point built up and also my website, which was pretty consistent with the editing style I had. And so I didn't think that there would be any surprises with the editing because everything was very consistent all around. But I sent the photos and the client immediately responded. It said that these photos look nothing like what she was expecting. She wanted the colors to match exactly as they were. You know, I mentioned that that's just not my editing style. I have a style that I like to stick to. As you guys all know, it's kind of that like artistic style. And I was really early on, so I didn't even know how to phrase it properly. And she was livid. And I just remember thinking like, well, you know, it's in my contract. I'm going to go look and just show her the section of the contract where it talks about my artistic style and editing the photos as I see fit. However, when I looked back at my contract, I realized that that wasn't in there. And I was like, how is that not in there? That's something that should be in every photography contract. But again, I found my contract somewhere online and it didn't have that portion in there, which was the big mistake that I made. And so she ended up threatening to take her payment back through PayPal, which I do want to talk about payment and invoicing next. So I really didn't have much I could do other than send her the raw photos, which is another thing that I would never do. I really should make an episode where I talk about all my photography mistakes and regrets and things that I would do differently. So let me know if you guys want to hear that in another episode. 
But yeah, I ended up having to send her the raw photos. And that was when I decided to invest in a legitimate good contract. And I would highly recommend you guys do the same. So yeah, if you take anything from that story, it is to protect yourself and make sure that you invest in a good contract. So the next thing I want to talk about is how to actually send contracts and invoices to make the booking process as smooth and as seamless as possible for both you and the clients. Because when I first started off, I was sending contracts through email, which you might think sounds good at first, but if you really think about it, I was sending this PDF to my clients and then somehow the clients would have to figure out how to sign this PDF. Some of them would even go and like print the PDF just to be able to sign it and then would send it back to me. So it was already a hassle for them. And then I would have to figure out how to organize my contracts to make sure I could find everything and also have a backup copy. So I would put them on my hard drive just to make sure I had a safe copy of them. And it was just really messy overall. And that also goes for the invoicing process. I sent all of my invoices through PayPal, but not every client had PayPal. So then I would have to invoice people through different platforms and it just got really messy having to organize everything and knowing who paid and how much did they pay and where did they pay. And so that's when I started looking into different client management softwares and I discovered HoneyBook. So if you haven't heard about what HoneyBook is, it's basically a client management software used by small businesses to help manage projects, book clients, send invoices, get paid, all of that fun stuff. And it really makes things a lot easier. I'm able to send my contracts and my invoices all in one place. And I'm also able to create automatic reminders. And clients are also able to set up automatic payments, which is really nice because it saves me time. It saves them time. And it just makes everything really seamless and organized in one place, which I love. I'm also able to create and set up custom templates, which has been really nice because again, it saves me a lot of time. And Clients are able to pay with card, which leads for a great client experience. And so all around, I would highly recommend HoneyBook. If you do want to try it, I have a code for 50% off. It's Anissa50, A-N-I-S-S-A-5-0. You can also sign up for free just to test it out. I think they have like a week free trial. So I highly recommend looking into that if you aren't sure on how to invoice and send contracts to your clients. It just, like I said, makes things so much easier and has been a game changer for my business. The other thing that I like that HoneyBook does is that it also helps me keep track of my finances. So I pay taxes quarterly, which means I have to make sure I'm keeping great track of my finances and staying organized with everything. So I would recommend still getting an accountant that you can trust, but I like to make sure I'm keeping track of all of my expenses, my gear, my subscriptions, something that people don't think about is also keeping track of your mileage, like where you're traveling to, how many miles you're traveling to per session. So those are things that you want to make sure you're keeping track of. I use Excel, but you can certainly use QuickBooks, which I've heard wonderful things about. And it does integrate with HoneyBook, which is great. I would recommend using some sort of spreadsheet to keep track of all of your finances and everything there. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is delivering photos to your clients. So once again, going to share a little bit about what I did in the beginning, because I just think it's funny to look back on. And maybe some of you guys are doing this too. And so just so that you don't feel alone in what you're doing, I'm going to share how I originally delivered photos. Basically, I would send the photos through Google Drive, which isn't a bad idea, but 
it was really disorganized again. And it just took forever. Like I would have to buy more storage, which is fine, but then it would just take so long to upload. And then everything would get disorganized between clients, even though I had like folders named and everything. For some reason, it just was so confusing for me to manage. And I also felt like the experience for clients using Google Drive wasn't the best. It just didn't really come off as professional. So I did a little bit of research and saw that there were some gallery delivery subscriptions I could sign up for. And I ended up choosing PickTime, which I really ended up loving. And I still use PickTime. And it's just really great. It has a lot of wonderful features. I'm able to upload my photos very quickly, separate them by folders, which is especially nice if I'm shooting a wedding and I want to separate like getting ready photos from ceremony, from first look, all of that kind of stuff. And so I really like that aspect of pick time. And then it also, I can set up like slideshows and add music and just make the experience really pleasant and nice for my clients who are looking through the photos for the first time, as opposed to Google Drive where they're like struggling with downloading everything and it's also taking them forever. So I like that it's really fast. It's really seamless. Again, really easy to use. And it's easy also to send photos and share the gallery with like friends and family. So if you guys are interested in trying out PickTime, you can use my code LVYQT7 for one month off. I'd highly recommend looking into a professional gallery delivery software. If you don't have that right now, again, just is something that I feel like is a small change that makes a big difference. So yeah, that's basically everything that I wanted to share with you guys today on how to start a photography business. If you listen to the end, I just want to say thank you for being here. And I'm so excited to continue sharing other photography tips and tricks. If there's anything that you want to hear specifically, you guys can totally DM me on Instagram. My username is Anissa D Photography, and that's basically all across social media. So if you ever want to find me, that's where you can find me at. And yeah, thanks again for listening. And I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to Photo Tea with Anissa D. If you liked today's episode, please let me know by leaving a review and make sure to follow for more episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Anissa D Photography. See you back here next time for a new episode. Bye.